the one that they specifically asked for was, Lord, teach us to pray. And uh, I think is, is one of the uh, most uh, powerful tools and uh, things available to us and uh, certainly one of the least deserved and most appreciated things that we have to be able to come to God in prayer and not have to go through a priest uh, or a pope. But uh, anytime we, we so desire, we can simply come into the presence of God and commune with Him and talk with Him. And uh, His disciples uh, longed to be taught how to pray. And, uh, of course, the Lord teaches them that in what we refer to today as the Lord's Prayer. And uh, what a great model uh, of praying. I, I know a lot of people who quote the Lord's Prayer. And uh, the, the, the prayer that God gives, that Christ gives to His disciples, was never intended to be quoted, but to teach them how to pray, uh, the way to pray. And uh, I understand that there are people that quote it, and I think there's um, some benefit to our hearts and, and certainly a joy as we recite those things, as it is any time we quote or recite Scripture. Uh, but oftentimes, I'm afraid if we... Uh, recite it as a means of prayer, uh, we're not really praying it, we're just reciting it. And it's not really a prayer of our hearts. In James chapter number 5, let's look down in verse number 16. James chapter number 5, the Bible says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. And then he says this, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message and speak to our hearts. And Lord, that there would be something in this message for us today. I pray that you'd help us to uh, learn from it, and to glean from it the things that you would want for us to. Above all, I pray that you would help the teaching of your Word in this subject to improve our prayer time, the, the way that we come about praying, and, and Lord, certainly the uh, effectiveness with which we are able to pray. I pray that you would guide and direct our hearts and help us to understand the truth of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse 16, of course, uh, James is just coming off of a teaching on uh, those that are sick and afflicted. And uh, it would be easy for us, if we're not careful, to uh, take the entirety of the context as uh, a prayer for healing. But the truth is, as uh, he gives an example here in verse number 17, he teaches a principle, uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and then he immediately launches into an illustration. And he uses the illustration of Elias. This is the New Testament spelling of Elijah, the Old Testament character. And he speaks of the fact that he was a man subject, uh, the Bible uses this phrase, to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. Now here he's not speaking in the context of healing. He's speaking here in the context of getting his prayers answered. The effectiveness of his praying. And the fact that he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And so I want to, I want to try to give a few lessons that are given here from the book of James on uh, some things that 
that Elijah did in his praying that I believe we can emulate, we can use as an example in our praying and uh, to help us to be better in praying the way that we should. There are a number of things that are given here. In verse number 17, it speaks about the fact that he prayed earnestly. And it's interesting that James had just made the statement in verse 16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There are a number of things here. I want to give you at least four of them today. Uh, There probably are more that we could come up with. From Scripture, but I want to give you at least four, and um, I, I, I could give you probably a hundred from Scripture, but uh, the mind can't take that much in one sitting, and uh, so we'll give you four. It'd be easier to remember four than a hundred of them, and uh, hopefully we'll give you some more down the road. The first one that we come across here in James chapter number five, verse sixteen, is the effectual, and I want to focus on this word effectual uh, prayer. And that is uh, to pray uh, for an answer, to pray for there to be a specific request uh, to be done. I I remember a number of years ago, I was doing a series on prayer, and uh, as I was preaching, I mean in the middle of preaching, and I don't know, maybe, uh, Brother Dan, you might be able to relate to this, but I was in the middle of preaching, and my conscience was was under conviction uh, as I'm preaching, I mean in the middle of it. And a thought came to me as I'm preaching on praying, uh, how how anemic my prayer life had become. It wasn't the amount of praying that I did. I, I was uh, certainly spending time with the Lord in prayer every single day. And, uh, at, and time spent with Him. I wasn't watching the clock. I was enjoying the time with Him. But the effectualness of my praying was was anemic. It was, I, I was, uh, we get in these habits, don't we, of praying phrases that maybe we've heard someone else use, or even phrases that maybe we have used, and we, we tend to pray them again and again and again without losing, or by, but we do it by way of, of, of habit, not by means of emphasis. And I will say this, there's nothing wrong with praying the same thing, as long as every time it is from the heart, we're praying that and asking the Lord for it. There's an effectualness to it. But we used, in fact, I, I caught myself, and these were some of the words that I remembered at the time uh, thinking about, but we would use words like bless. Uh, for instance, in our praying, uh, I might be praying along and asking the Lord, and I would say, Lord, bless Brother Jim. Okay, well, that's, that's a good thing. I want Brother Jim to be blessed, but Brother Jim may have a need in his life. And here I am praying for God to just bless him instead of praying for the need that he has. Um, uh, be with is another phrase. Dear Lord, be with brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Well, if they're saved, the Lord's already with them. What are we praying for? Are we praying for the need? Are we praying for the specifics? And, and, and when it t- speaks here of the effectual praying that Elijah did, notice that, uh, th- that Elijah didn't just pray and say, Lord, uh, help Israel to realize, or help Ahab to realize the situation there, and that's not the way he prayed. He said, "Lord, don't let it rain." He was very specific, very, very specific, and he prayed for a reason. Look with me, if you will, for a moment. Hold your place here to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number four, uh, Philippians chapter number four, and uh, let's look in verse number six, Philippians chapter number four, and verse number six. 
Paul is giving some instruction here on praying. And he says, be careful for nothing. Now, we use the word careful a little bit differently than they did at the time of the translation of the King James Bible. Uh, when we say careful now, it means to be cautious. Uh, and it's really almost the opposite of what it meant at the time of the translation. Because we say be careful, that means be anxious about it. Be on guard and you know, pay careful attention here. Back then it meant to be full of care or careful. That's where the word came from. Uh, anxiety, if you will, that, that, that sense of um, worry almost. It would be almost to that level. And so understand that the usage of that has changed over the years, and we need to understand what the intent was when the King James translators uh, translated that word, what it meant at that time. And so he says here, be careful for nothing. So we're not to be full of this care. Uh, we're not, we're, you know, why worry when you can pray, all right? And, and so this is what he's dealing with here. Be careful for nothing, but in how many things here? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be what? Made known unto God. There is a specificness that is implied in this verse that, that these are the requests that we have that we need to make known. I like it on Sunday mornings at Sunday school hour and Wednesday nights. We have a time where we take prayer requests. And we specifically state, here are the burdens of our hearts. Now, I understand and I know, and, and please don't misunderstand what I'm going to say here. There are times, there are things of a, a private nature and a very personal nature that other people don't need to know the details of. That may be a burden on our heart. We call these unspoken prayer requests. But when we pray to God about them, they need to be very, very specific. I understand maybe we don't share it with others around us specifically, but in our praying, it needs to, that request needs to be made known to the Lord. Uh, I think there are many times that we have an unspoken prayer request that really probably should be stated. They're not of a personal nature. We just don't want to bother people with our burden. That is not a good enough reason for an unspoken prayer request. If it is of a private nature, I understand. If it's of a sensitive nature, yes, definitely. But when it's a matter of, well, I just don't want to be a burden to other people, Pastor. I don't want them to worry about me. That is not a good enough reason. The Bible tells us that we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law. And if we do not know what the burdens of our other folks are, it is difficult to pray for them in the way that we need to. If we're going to pray... If Effectually, if we're going to pray specifically, we're going to pray for a specific thing, it helps us to know what that matter is. Now, don't, don't feel like if I have a personal matter or a sensitive matter and I'm going to say I have an unspoken prayer request, we're going to look down on you. We're not. I understand there are those times, so please don't misunderstand me and don't feel like you have to air your, your dirty laundry to everybody in the church because the pastor said, boy, we ought to share more. I'm talking about things that are just... They're, they're things that other people can help us pray for. Alright? So, so don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not trying to pry out of you something of a personal or a, a, a very sensitive nature. But what I am saying is, I think there are many times that we say, I have an unspoken prayer request, and it's simply because we don't want to worry people uh, about it. 
uh, that's what we as brothers and sisters in Christ are here to help build one another up in the faith. We're here to edify. We're here to pray for one another. In fact, it's interesting how many times in Scriptures we are commanded especially pray for the brethren. Uh, the world is, is certainly against us. The world is trying to do all they can to destroy us, and Satan is out to discourage us. And if anybody needs the prayers, it's those of us who are saved. And I certainly, I, I, I get tickled sometimes, and I've even used the phrase sometimes, I say to you, I get disappointed in it anymore as I realize this. And I've used this phrase so often before in my life, and I've, I've had to come under conviction about it. And that is the phrase, well... I'll be praying for you. I wish I could do more. Can I tell you the greatest thing we can do is pray one for another. Somebody said years ago, I wish I had written down the source. I read it a number of years ago, and I wish I could remember which author it was. But they made this statement. They said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you can never do more than pray until you've prayed. Prayer is, is the paramount thing. Uh, yes, we can help, we can lend a hand, but the greatest thing I can do for you and the greatest thing you can do for me is pray. And pray, not just Lord blessing, but pray for the need. Pray for the specifics. Uh, when the Bible speaks here of praying effectively, there is a specificness, a preciseness to the praying. It's praying with an expectation for God to answer, not generally, but that need. Elijah didn't pray, Lord, help Ahab realize the error of his ways, and God just generally tried to, to do something. Elijah prays very specifically. He prayed that it not rain. And guess what? It didn't rain. It was an effectual prayer, was it not? In fact, it didn't rain for three and a half years. In fact, it didn't rain again until Elijah finally prayed and said, Okay, Lord, you can let it rain again. It's an effectual prayer. And I want to encourage us, when it comes to our praying, to be very specific. If it is an unspoken request, you may not be able to share it with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But when you pray to God, make certain that we are very, very specific in praying to Him. Not because He doesn't know what it is but because we need to express our dependence on Him in that specific matter. God knows our hearts. He already knows what the need is. Prayer has never been for God's benefit. It's been for ours. And so understand this, that there is an effectualness to praying that needs to happen. We need to pray for an answer. And then he says fervent. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. The, the idea of fervency, when we think of fervent, we think of... Um, uh, intensity. We think of passion. We think of. Uh, in fact, I, I looked up some uh, some some words in uh, in, in the Webster's 1828 uh, dictionary, and uh, uh, the idea of how many times in Scripture uh, the the idea of praying is called crying. Have you ever noticed that the psalmist used that word quite often? I cried unto the Lord, uh, and uh, the disciples. Uh, when they were uh, on, this, on the ship, uh, they cried unto the Lord uh, in their distress. And so often we find that the prayers are a sense of crying. And uh, I looked up that word uh, crying in the, in the Webster's 1828. You know what it says? 
It says, with fervency, with energy, and with a loud voice. You ever notice when we come to the Lord in prayer, we talk to each other like this, and then when we come to God in prayer, we're like, Now, Father. And we almost think there's a sense of piety in, in quietness. Now, I understand we don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be sacrilegious in, in God's presence. But there ought to be a stirring of the heart and the burden of the need so great in us that we cry out to God. Let's look at a few things here. Look with me in Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22. And, and again, one of the great examples, the great example in Scripture, is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. When it comes to this idea of praying with fervency, Luke chapter number 22 in verse number 44, excuse me, 44, uh, Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. And uh, in verse number 42, He says, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto Him from heaven, strengthening Him. Isn't that a peculiar phrase? Why do you think that the Lord in His flesh had to be strengthened? I've shared the story of uh, uh, Daniel Nash and Abel Clary, these men who used to follow Charles Finney around and pray weeks ahead of his revivals. And they would go into these, these rooms that they would rent, and there were every waking moment laying prostrate on the ground and crying out to God, sometimes 14, 16, 18 hours a day without food or water. It was said often that men had to come into the room and help them to their feet and get them into their beds at night because they were exhausted in prayer. And I say there was a fervency there. Unless you think that that's just because there are people who do that, notice here that an angel comes and strengthens the Lord in His praying. Notice in verse 44, the Bible says, and being in agony. Can I, can I tell you something that I think is very clear from this passage? That this was not a, an agony of the physical flesh as far as pain to the physical body, as much as it was an agony of soul and spirit. So much so that the Bible says that he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You ever prayed so fervently that there was a physical exhaustion and tiredness, weariness of the flesh? There are times that our prayers ought to be this way. It's amazing that there are some things that we look at and we say, well, if I could just get pastor to pray for it, as if... The pastor has some unique power to God that you don't have access to. Can I tell you this? Every single one of us has the same access to God. Uh, the pastor is not some special; uh, does not have some special unction of power with God that 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 uh, people who do not stand behind the the pulpit uh, don't have. You have the ability to pray. And to have the same power with God that I have or anyone has. I don't know if we get that mindset from other religions that maybe teach that or, or give an idea that there's some special unction of hierarchy in, in the religious leadership. 
Can I tell you this? This pastor that's standing here is a sinner that was saved by the grace of God, and I have the same access to him that you have. And I have the same ability to come to him in prayer that you have. And the same things that will hinder your prayers are the same things that will hinder my prayers. And it's very, very important for you and I to understand that every single one of us can pray and pray fervently. That there are some things that we, we, we feel very strongly about and very burdened about, and we, we think, and the, and the thought in our mind is, well, I, I need to go and ask pastor to pray. I am grateful for that, and I will pray every time. And please do not stop bringing things to me to pray for. I would love to. But I don't want you to get in, in your mind that this is something that is so great that your prayers aren't going to be answered, but pastors will. That is a wrong conclusion. You have the same ability to pray fervently for something as the pastor has. It's amazing when we have some things, and I've watched people sit across from my desk or sit across from me in a meeting and weep, and I mean literally weep over the burden they're carrying. In recent days, I've been in several of these meetings and and, and the the absolute uh, struggle that's going on inside. And my heart hurts for them, and and I feel like, Lord, I need to pray fervently for them. It's amazing how many people that feel that strongly about the burden, and they've never missed one meal to pray. They've never they've never missed an hour of sleep to continue steadfast in fervency and in prayer. And I, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying to wait until dinner time and then miss your dinner time. I'm talking about where you're so broken and so burdened that you begin to pray in all aspect of time and physical needs of this body are forgotten because of the fervency with which we're praying. We don't know what time it is. We don't know if I've missed a meal or not. I couldn't tell you. Because right now I'm so broken that I'm praying fervently for this issue. There was a fixed attention. There's a strong desire that the Lord Jesus Christ, His mind was on one thing and one thing only, and that was what He was praying over. He was in agony. And the Bible says more earnestly He began to pray. As he prayed, his heart was even more stirred. And as he continued in prayer, even more with fervency and earnestness, he begins to pray. There was an eagerness to come before his Father in prayer, knowing that this is the source of his strength in the flesh. And I believe he did so also as an example to you and I of what it is like to pray fervently for something. When was the last time that we got so caught up in praying that we lost track of time? When was the last time that we got so caught up in praying that the physical needs of this body were forgotten? Our back pain, our drowsiness, our sleepiness. You remember what the Lord Jesus Christ told His disciples when He went into the garden? He left them. And he told them, He said, I want you to watch and what? Pray. When He came back, what, what, was, what was the... It was after a short while. What, what, was, what was the case? What happened? They were sleeping. And what did He ask them? He said, what? 
Could you not watch with me one hour? You know why the Lord Jesus Christ came back to His disciples during that time? He he could have continued praying, couldn't He? Because He went back and prayed again. You know why He came back to them? To teach them something. Even in His his most desperate hour, if you can put it that way, in the flesh, He was concerned about teaching His disciples a valuable lesson. The issue of praying fervently. Can I tell you this? We live in a day where we have no concept of what it is to pray fervently. Oh, we may rise early. We may have a set appointed time. But what about praying fervently? Look with me in Daniel, book of Daniel, chapter number 9. there was ever an Old Testament person who understood and knew how to pray, I think we'd have to certainly say Daniel's one of them. In Daniel chapter number 9, let's look in verse number 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God. Can I just stop there for a moment before we even go any further in the verse? That is an interesting statement. He said, I set my face before God. <laughs> I remember... Uh, I, I, I was talking to somebody even this morning... I said, you know, before I had kids, I didn't understand the draw of your heart to your kids. Parents will do things for their kids that nobody else will understand. They'll do things for their kids that nobody else will understand. Because they're your kids. You love them. And boy, when those kids first came along, I mean, my heart was gone the minute I saw them. Jonathan comes along. As he's growing up, he's toddling around two, three years old. He'd sit beside me sometimes, and I was pretty busy, and I remember a couple of several times there at the house, and it, it got to where after a while it even became kind of a game between us we would do. And he would be like, Dad, and I wouldn't look at him. And I'd say, Yes, Jonathan. And he wouldn't ask me. He'd say, Dad. I'd say, Yes, Jonathan. Dad, what do you want, Jonathan? I wouldn't look at him. And finally, in desperation and in frustration, He'd take his little three-year-old hands and he'd grab both of my cheeks like this and he'd turn my face so I'd have to look at him eyeball to eyeball. When I read this phrase from Daniel, he said, I set my face unto the Lord God. I get this mindset that Daniel was saying, Lord, I've got something I want to share with you. And I'm going to be here until you let me know. I'm not going to come quickly, give you my request, and then leave. I'm here for the duration. And in fact, he was, was he not? It's interesting that for 21 days, Daniel fasts and prays, waiting on the response from God. Notice what it says here in verse number 3, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer, 
and supplications. And I want you to notice this. With fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. He began to pour out his heart to God, didn't he? Can I tell you this? Daniel understood and knew what it was to pray fervently. Did he not? He didn't just pray. The Bible says that he was fasting. The Bible says that he was in sackcloth and ashes. And this was something that oftentimes in the Old Testament was done for the sake of humility before God. I'm not saying you need to go down to the to the produce place and get some burlap and then go to your fireplace and get some ashes. But I'm talking about in our spirits, there needs to be the same kind of attitude. A fervency in praying. Look with me in Psalm 17. Psalm 17. And let's look in verse number 1. Psalm 17. The psalmist writes this, Hear the right, O Lord, Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of the foreign li- out of foreign lips. He refers to the cry in his prayer as the same thing. He does so numerous times throughout the Psalms, and you can take time to look at all of them. But let me share, show you a, a few more so that we can understand that quite often he uses these terms interchangeably with God. Look with me in Psalm 107. Psalm 107. In verse number 6, the Bible says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. And verse number 13, Then he cried unto, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. Verse number 19, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. As we get down to verse number... Uh, 28, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. Look with me in Psalm 102. Psalm 102. The psalmist says this, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto Thee. Can I tell you this, that I understand there are times when we pray that... It is of a general nature. We're praying for maybe God to give us a good day today and to to give us direction in our life. But there are certain things that require fervency in prayer. In fact, uh, let's look, if you will, in uh, Luke chapter number 18. Luke chapter number 18. And I want you to notice another area that we ought to have fervency in. Luke chapter number 18, and let's look in verse number, uh, we'll go to verse number 11, uh, verse number 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, notice, notice this, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but 
smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Can I tell you that there is a sense of emotion and brokenness in this publican. So much so that he's smiting upon his breast. He's, he's bowing in humility. He cannot even lift his eyes to heaven. And a fervency about him. As he says, Lord, forgive me. I'm standing in need as a sinner that needs forgiveness. I tell you, there needs to be a fervency in our spirit when we come to the Lord in prayer. These are the things that characterize Elijah's praying. As James speaks of the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availing much, and then uses immediately Elijah as the example. There's another thing that's said here, that it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. A righteous man availeth much. Psalm 66, verse number 18 says, that uh, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In Proverbs chapter 28, let's take a moment to turn there. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 9. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 9. We are given warning several times throughout Scripture regarding uh, sin affecting our prayer life. Proverbs 28, and let's look in verse number 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Uh, again, just the idea of forsaking and not paying attention to what God has said. Let's look in Isaiah chapter 59. As Isaiah is, is uh, sharing some things with Israel regarding their praying. Verse number 1 of chapter 59, Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. So God's ability is not, is not shortened, but your what? Iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, that He will not what? Here. Is it that God's not able to answer prayers? No, that's not the problem. The problem is our iniquity. Our iniquity. The effectual, fervent prayer. Can I tell you this? Our prayers as God's people need to be effectual. They need to be very specific. They need to be brought to Him with fervency with a spirit that is crying out to God, Oh God, I must have this, and You're the only one that can supply it. And there needs to be a sense of righteousness. I don't think there's anything wrong at all as we begin our prayers to start with confession. In fact, if we go back to Daniel chapter number 9, you'll find as he began to pray, he began with confession. You'll find when Isaiah was praying for Israel, he began with confession. When you find Jeremiah numerous times in his book and also in Lamentations, he began with confession. Why? Because they understood that the iniquity would cause God not to hear their prayers. James chapter number 4 James chapter number 4, and let's look in verse number 3. James chapter 4 and verse number 3, very familiar passage. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask, what? Amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. Why? Because that type of a heart will hinder our prayers. 
It doesn't hinder God's power, but it hinders our praying. Let's look in James chapter number 5, and I want to share one last thing with you. Our praying needs to be effectual. It needs to be fervent. It needs to be from a righteous heart. I want you to notice now in verse number 18, and we'll be done. And he prayed. I want to know what the next word is here. What is it? Again. We need to pray continuously. We need to pray continuously. Whenever there's a burden, whenever there's a problem, we ought to bring it to Him. We ought to bring it to Him. He prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. There are three or four things here that I think James uses Elijah to illustrate for us. He prayed effectually. He prayed fervently. He was a righteous man. And he continued in prayer. I like what was said of Daniel when the decree was written by and signed by the king, saying that no man was to pray to anyone except the king for 30 days. And if they did, they were to be cast into the lion's den. The Bible says that Daniel went and opened his windows. And he prayed three times a day. And the Bible says this, as he did aforetime. He continued in prayer. He continued in prayer. I wonder, you ever thought this? I wonder what movement of God in the hearts of men would happen if we could ever learn to pray effectually, fervently, with a righteous heart, continuously. I believe there would be no shortage of revivals. I believe we're in a drought of revival in the day that we live simply because we have lost the ability to understand this truth. Are we praying effectually, fervently? Are we praying with a righteous heart? And are we praying continuously? Let's stand together. Father, we pray that You'll bless the message. And Lord, speak to hearts. As we leave here this afternoon, I pray that You'd help us to leave with the message pondering in our hearts and our minds as we go about our day today, as we go through our week. Lord, perhaps as we kneel by our bedsides tonight or our time of prayer that we have either throughout the day today or tomorrow,